Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I've been putting together over the last while where I like to talk about all things investing, where I get to share with you some of my thoughts, some of my takes, and other people's takes and perspectives about investing. Hopefully uh, you can come out of it with a few nuggets of insights, of uh, information uh, that is going to hopefully help, that you can take back and hopefully help you make better investment decisions. My name is Amon Reina, and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I do is I try to help people who ultimately want to become more financially independent. The problem is that most people experience is when it comes to investing is they often feel intimidated, frustrated, or confused by the whole concept. They either don't know where to start uh, when it comes to investing, or they've been investing for a long time but just aren't making any progress or traction with their portfolios. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people, I engage with them on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and and achieve it with confidence. So today I'm going to talk about robo-advisors and for People who have been following my, reading my blog, or following my podcasts, uh, I've, been, I've been engaged in a bit of an experiment over the last four years, or a case study over the last four years, as it pertains to robo-advisors. About four or five years ago, we started to see the advent of this new type of uh, investing model, which was essentially called robo-advisors, that's kind of what they were nicknamed, and that's kind of a name that stuck with them. Uh, essentially, what, what we've seen is this evolution of, uh, of essentially an online investing service, where essentially you uh, log on to a web, go onto a website, answer a few questions about your personal history, your, you know, how you, you know, deal with risk, and on the back side of it, you will receive a recommended portfolio of stocks and bonds that you should be investing in. And then if you were interested, the, the service would go ahead and invest your money. You would put your money with the service and they would go out and, and uh, build a portfolio and uh, manage that portfolio. And the mechanism that they would use to manage the portfolio is very using a lot of algorithms, losing a lot of, uh, in a way, maybe kind of AI, and that's where the kind of the robo kind of moniker came from, was essentially you have a computer managing your money instead of going to a traditional financial advisor, a broker, a bank, a mutual fund. And uh, when it came out, there was it was kind of timed with the whole FinTech, financial technology kind of uh, revolution that kind of hit the shores. And lots of people were talking about how fintech services such as robo-advisors was going to change and disrupt traditional investing. So there was a lot of hype about four or five years ago about robo-advisors and uh, the mainstream media was kind of getting into it, the business media was all over it, but to me there was one element that was kind of lacking with the whole service which was do these services actually make money? Do you, can you make money investing through a robo-advisor service? And from my personal experience, when I tried to reach out to some of these companies, uh, they were very hesitant to disclose any past performance, um, primarily because they're new services, but even backdated testing or anything like that, they, were, they didn't want to go there. Um, they were more, hap- more than happy to cite the research because you know, the, the philosophy they believed in was a passive-oriented investing in a basket of low-cost ETFs. 
um, and kind of just managing the allocation of it is a much more effective way to, to make money, to grow your savings. And there's a lot of research that, that shows that. But um, what I found was curious was that even with the research, they weren't willing to kind of share how they performed, which I thought was very weird in a sense because mutual fund companies and you know, investing in individual stocks, you see the performance, you see the track record of that. So you can see if there's a, if there's a certain um, competency by whoever's managing your money to, to invest, to make good investment decisions, to grow your savings. And it's interesting that um, the robo-advisor service never, has never, and you know, they're getting a little bit better at it, but um, really doesn't go there. It hasn't really gone there. And uh, I find that really curious, and it, you know, it's, the mainstream media didn't seem to be interested in, in following up. I don't, know, I don't know why I brought it up with, with many people. Um, but I wasn't satisfied, so I decided, you know what, I think I'm going to just do it. I thought it would be interesting is just do this, doing a little experiment in the sense that I decided that I would sign up with one of these robo-advisor services and put some of my own money into them and kind of get in on the inside and see how these things work, see how these things man are managed, see what the experience is from, a, from an investor perspective, and then ultimately see, do these things make money? Do, what, what's the performance that we can do uh, that can be generated? Out of, out of this type of service. Is it any better than just going out and doing it myself or hiring a, a financial planner or an advisor to do it? Um, so I took $5,000 of my own money and I put it into a robo-advisor service. And I did that four years ago, so this is you know the fourth anniversary of me having this service. So I've had four years of you know of an experience with this uh, service, with this portfolio. And so today I just want to as we've hit the four-year four anniversary, I thought I would share with you some of my uh, observations and some of the some of the numbers that have come out of this, and uh, offer some takes and some perspectives of my own personal observations about the whole service. Um, I've also, you know, this is uh, I'm talk I'm going to talk about it, but if you're interested, you can also read my blog post. Um, that I've done on my four-year robo-advisor anniversary. You can find that on my website, sageinvestors.ca. So, so let's, let's just get to it. Let's just see how things have worked out. So one of the things I, I, I've been constantly commenting about with the service with robo-advisors is that in terms of to meaningfully evaluate them, we need to see they need to have a little bit of a track record. We need to see how these things have performed. And so reasonably to get a good sense of how these things work, I think we, we, I felt that you needed to do about five years. You need to see about five years of performance history. <clears throat> you need to be kind of into the whole concept for about five years. And so obviously we're in year four. Um, so we're, we've, we've, I think we've built up a lot of kind of uh, Legwork. I think we've traveled a, a fair bit down this path through this service. So you know, I think we can start s seeing some trends and seeing some um, conclusions we can make to it. I'm not fully going to weigh in and tell and you know offer my you know this is a great service or this is a crappy service. I don't think I'm ready for that. I think we still need another. As I said we need five years to do figure this out. And uh, so we're in year four, but we're we're getting we're we're much much further along now in the process in our in our journey. So one of the things we I think one of the why I said five years is because uh, we need to see how this portfolio behaves 
through good times and through bad times. And ultimately, a good portfolio should be able to generate good returns in the good times. Um, but in the times where the markets are weak, the goal is about preserving capital, preserving savings, trying to minimize the losses. Uh, so that's the one thing so far up to this point that I think we were missing with, with, with my experiment was that the markets have been doing really great and so the numbers have been really great for the service. But what we were missing, and I think we're still a little bit missing, is how, how, these, how these portfolios behave under a, I don't know, in a stressful environment. In the past year, I think we've gotten a little bit closer to understanding that side of the equation as um, when we look at the past year, the markets were definitely much, much more volatile and we saw some ser uh, periods, especially uh, early February and late December uh, in 2018 where the markets were really, really stressed out and were, there was some serious pullback in stock prices. And so it was really good now, which is great. Obviously it's not great for the portfolio, but it's ultimately we want to see, uh, it's great because now we can get a little bit more clarity, a little bit more perspective on how these things behave in a stressful market. So we'll get into that in a second, but I think I just want to hit you with some, hit you with some numbers in terms of uh, annual returns, in terms of performance. So in year one, uh, when I, the first year I opened up the, the had the account, uh, I was down, the portfolio was down about 2.1%. But in year two and year three, it went up double digits. It was up 13.2% in year two and 14.2% in year three. This past year, um, with the markets pulling back, um, the returns weren't great. So the, uh, in the last year, the portfolio was down 2.1%. Um, just to give you some stats, so it was down 2.1%. Um, but the loss actually was kind of mitigated a bit because the portfolio generated about $143 in dividend income. So if you took out the dividends, if I didn't get any dividends, my losses could have been a heck of a lot worse. And the other issue was uh, in December, we had a really big pullback in, in, the, in the markets. And, uh, but then we saw a real bounce in January. And so if we went because the January numbers were included in, in my analysis, because I'm basically my, my time period, my 12 month period starts from January to January, or end of, you know, basically February to end of January. Um, so that January bounce got reflected in the, in the year four uh, return. So um, in a way it was a saving grace for the portfolio because if we had just gone calendar year, the returns would have been a lot worse than 2.1%. So, uh, but what the I guess I guess the the positive thing that came out of it is uh, having this type of service. The, the the value proposition of a robo service uh, is about promoting passive investing, a hands off approach. Even so, when the markets are you know tanking, that the portfolio you know people are the, the the common behavior we have as individual investors is we we react and we try to go and make decisions, and oftentimes we make emotional decisions that often. Um, are probably the worst thing you can do and probably make things worse. So the fact of the matter is, even though the markets were crapping out in December, I, the portfolio was very much hands-off and wasn't doing anything. And by just staying in the game, uh, it allowed the portfolio to, to bounce back and re uh, build back uh, some of those uh, losses that it had from there. So, and when you're looking at this, these type of server, this type of portfolio, robo portfolio, that is a definite quality of having these, uh, having this uh, investing through a robo service. Is um, they kind of you kind of 
get, gets you out of your own way um, and forces that, that emotional, positive, possible emotional decision-making moment is very much mitigated. And a lot of times when you take that emotion out of the decision-making, it often leads to a better outcome. And this is a small little example of how it was doing that. Um, the way the portfolio is make it made up right now is about 56% of the, of, the, uh, of the portfolio is represented by, is invested in Canadian and U.S. stocks. And so um, when you look at the fact that the Canadian, with the S&P 500 was down 6% and the TSX was down uh, 11% uh, over the past year, and my portfolio was down only 2%, that's probably a pretty reasonable outcome. And uh, uh, so I lost money. Um, but not as much money as I potentially could have lost uh, if I had just uh, done it on my own or you know had the emotions come into play. Um, so since I started the, the account, the open the account, so cumulatively the portfolio is up 22%. So I started with $5,000. I have about 6,200. Um, it's grown to a six, about 6,200 uh, over the past four years. Um, the asset mix of the portfolio has stayed the same. It's uh, when I opened it up, it was uh, based on the questions that I answered. It put me into a portfolio that had an 85% allocation to stocks and a 15% allocation to bonds. Uh, it uses now the bond. The portfolio itself is now made up essentially of ETFs, specifically the Vanguards and the iShares and the BMO product, a couple of BMO ETFs to account for the uh, bond exposure. Um, so what you know, based on my eighty-five fifteen ratio, the robo basically account uh, you know carved out my portfolio, and allocate has allocated monies into the Canadian stocks, U.S. stocks, um, foreign stocks, and emerging market stocks, and uh, a couple of bond short and uh, short and long-term bond funds, uh, bond ETFs. Um, what else can we say? What else can I share with you? Uh, in terms of the best performing components, it's been hands down the U.S. component has been uh, kind of the real driver of growth in, in this portfolio. The, the respective, there's two ETFs in the portfolio and they're both up 38 and 11% uh, since, since the account was opened. Um, one of my real concerns over the last while is the kind of aggressive nature of the portfolio. And as, as I said, it's about 56% into uh, U.S. and Canadian stocks, which I think is pretty high to have such a concentrated amount in really such a, a limited geography. You know, there's quite a bit of ge geographical bias being uh, practiced by my robo-advisor. Um, but so far, it hasn't been a big deal because, hey, the markets have been really great. Those have been the real leading markets over the last um, decade, in a sense. So uh, that move to uh, heavy weighting in U.S. stocks is, has been has worked. It's, it's worked so far. Um, the lagger, lagging areas in the portfolio have been the Canadian component. Um, it's only been up 2.8% since, since, since inception. Um, and the weak components, really, the losing components of the portfolio have been the income side of it, the bond components. They are both uh, posting negative returns. Uh, in terms of uh, general observations, in terms of behaviors in the, in the, in the uh, portfolio over the last year, there, I, think, I think the big change or the big event observation has been there hasn't been much change in the portfolio. Actually, this was actually the first year where the portfolio um, 
has been very stable. There hasn't been any switching out of uh, ETFs. There hasn't been any adding or subtracting. There hasn't been any selling of ETFs. It's been essentially the same uh, uh, composition. Um, it's been quite uh, static over the last over last maybe a year and a half. So, um, which is essentially what you're expecting, which is what you would expect by using this type of service. The whole value proposition of the robo service is is to adopt value uh, passive investing uh, a passive investing ideology. And uh, when I opened my portfolio, when it was first, I had stuff in there that I had no understanding why it was in there. I had high cost ET, actively managed ETFs that were investing in real estate, um, low, vol low volatility stocks, dividend oriented stocks. Um, I had ETFs of that, they were uh, high cost. And to me, it didn't make any sense why these, uh, why these type of uh, allocations were done. But over the, as I said, over the last three years or so, um, the portfolio has definitely evolved and the robo service has evolved. And I don't know if the algorithms have changed and you know tweaking of things, but uh, the portfolio now looks like something I would expect from a passively managed uh, type allocation and from somebody who would be practicing uh, a passive investment, index-oriented investing uh, ideology. So that's one definite observation that's come across. There's been, there appears to be a lot more stability. Um, the, the, the ETFs that are being used are much, much lower cost. And, uh, and that kind of feeds into the next observation I have, which is the fees. And I think the other value proposition with the robo-advisor service has been the fact that they are promising you would pay lower fees compared to traditional um, financial services groups like mutual funds uh, and just investing in uh, individual stocks. The, the fee compression is much, much more palatable. And obviously, as investors, we want to minimize the fees as much as we can because if you don't, it has a nasty way of eating away and eroding the portfolio uh, you know, of, hard, of your hard-earned savings. So when I looked at the fees uh, that I paid on in the service over the past year, I calculated, and actually I didn't calculate it, I was told because the, again, one of the cool things about, I would say about the robo service is that it's very transparent. They are very upfront in terms of the fees uh, they charge you, and it's not as opaque as traditional um, financial reporting um, when you get reports, you know, statements from your bank or from a mutual fund company. It's very opaque. It's very difficult to figure out what you're paying and what your returns are. Um, I would say a one positive feature of the robo service is they've made things a lot more simplistic and in terms of the uh, what of what you're paying um, for for the service. So when I looked at the the fees that I paid in the service. The piece that I paid my robo-advisor directly, uh, I paid a total of, you know, remember, this is a $5,000 portfolio I have, and so I paid a total of $37.36 in fees, which was up higher than the previous year which, uh, in which I paid $24.72, and it was even higher than I paid in the third year which was ten dollars and eighty-four cents uh, to the service. So you know, twenty-four, thirty-seven, you know, ten. You know, not exactly high numbers here uh, in terms of that. But if you express that on a percentage of assets basis, my uh, my uh, total cost represented 0.61 percent of my total assets. And last year, the previous year, 
At the three-year mark, it was 0.39%. Um, so that's the rate, that's my fees in terms of who I'm, what I'm paying my robo-advisor to manage my money, to execute the strategy. The next component we need to add is the cost of the ETFs itself. You have to pay a fee, a management expense ratio, an MER, uh, to each of the individual ETFs that you own. So the total cost of that over the past year came out to about 0.09%. So 0.61 and 0.09. In total, I paid 0.7% uh, in fees uh, last year, which was much higher than what I paid the previous year, which was 0.49% of the portfolio. So even though I paid $37 and it doesn't sound like a lot of money, when you express it on a percentage basis, it's actually much higher and it's growing much, much higher than I thought. And I was wondering, I was like, why are the fees going up so much? Um, but then I, I found out as I was doing a little digging and a little investigating was that um, my robo-advisor had made a change in their fee structure. So when I opened the account, one of the things, the reason I opened, I selected this particular robo-advisor, I said, I'm not, uh, one of the things, uh, oh, I, I totally forgot to mention is, uh, I'm not disclosing, uh, I, I'm intentionally not disclosing the name of the service of the company that I'm using. And the reason for that is uh, I didn't want to make this experiment that I'm doing about picking on a specific company. Uh, I, the, the pure goal of this, of this project for me has been to uh, just experience the service and understand what the service is and to evaluate the service and not necessarily the uh, the company itself. So one of the reasons why I picked this particular robo-advisor is at the time, four years ago, they had a pricing structure in which that the first $5,000 you put in, they would not charge any fees. And so that's the reason why I picked $5,000 to invest. But if you invested over $5,000, then they would add a 0.5%. Uh, <coughs> uh, yeah, 0.05, uh, 0.5%. Um, yeah, 0.5%. On, on top of your total assets, on top of the fees you pay the, uh, for the ETFs. Um, so that was what, when I started, but now I, I found out, and I don't know if they told me about it, and I don't think they did, because I was going through emails and I couldn't find any information that told me about this fee structure. I heard about the, the changes really through, I think, you know, the newspaper or media type thing, or the internet, but uh, I didn't hear about them from them directly. So what they did was essentially they got rid of that, for, they waived that, that $5,000 limit or minimum. They're basically saying uh, if you put between nothing or one cent and 100,000, they're going to charge you 0.5%. So automatically, um, my fees went up by half a percent um, because now they were charging me. Uh, before they weren't charging me on the first 5,000, now they are charging me on the first 5,000. And so it's reflected in the cost. So that's the reason why my fees have gone up is over the last couple of years is I was, I'd gone from literally paying nothing or paying nothing at the most, I was paying like 0.1. Uh, I was actually paying quite a bit because I was invested in these uh, purpose ETFs, which were much, much higher costing ETFs. So I had a pretty high uh, expense ratio, even when I, even when under the old pricing mechanism. But now I'm paying um, half a percent. And it turns out I'm actually paying 0.61%, which, is, which leads me to the question is where am I getting, what am I paying these extra 0.11 for? Um, there seems to be some leakage. I, 
there seems to be some leakage in terms of uh, like where is this, like there seems to be some extra cost. I'm, I'm kind of, now again, I'm bringing it back to the fact of the matter is it's $37 I paid last year, okay? It's not like it's sucking all my money out of my portfolio type thing. But again, these are questions we gotta ask. We're at, uh, questions we have to ask as, as investors. So um, that's an interesting observation that came out of it. Um, so what other things uh, have I noticed with, uh, with, my, with my portfolio, with, my, with the service in itself? Um, I think that one of the elements that you have to understand when you're going with this kind of service is you have to understand that don't expect a lot of human contact. The most contact you're going to have um, with your common type of contact you're going to have with your robo-advisor is going to be through email. Um, they're going to send you emails, especially times where the market's kind of stressed out and kind of going through, they're going to send sort of the keep calm, stay invested kind of messaging. They'll send you other emails in terms of marketing other products, but most of the time in terms of you, emails that are focused to you or conversations and communication that are focused on you, the customer, uh, few and far between. As I said, since I've opened this portfolio uh, four years ago, I've had contact with a human being twice. The first time was when I opened the portfolio four years ago, and the second time was in 2016 when the portfolio, when I wanted to find out why they had put gone so overweight on U.S. and Canadian stocks. Um, so I called them up and actually wanted to get some more information. But other than that, I have not had contact with, with, with anybody. And uh, I think it's important you understand that. If you're a type of person you need to kind of have that relationship aspect, uh, want to work with somebody who's got something, a relationship aspect of, of, uh, of managing your money, got to understand if you're going with an online service, you're not going to get that kind of relationship. And you might get it if you're a high net worth person. Uh, if you have a high net worth client, a big account that you want to uh, put some money to work in, they'll find some time for you. But if you're just, you know, just starting out, um, don't expect a lot of hand-holding. Don't expect a lot of, you know, sympathy. Uh, and don't expect them to go out of their way to check in on you. Um, personally, I'm okay with it because, you know, I'm a more experienced investor. I'm not looking for somebody to check in on me every five minutes or even monthly or quarterly type things. But uh, if you are that kind of person, something you might want to consider. Uh, another observation I had with the service is not so much with the service, but also the changing uh, competitive landscape with respect to uh, investing. And over the past year, what we've seen is the emergence of a new kind of uh, value proposition. And essentially, it's nothing, not a really a service, it's just a, an investing product, which I think is going to go could go a long way to really challenging the robo advisor model, and what I'm talking about is now we're seeing out there, and this was initiated by Vanguard uh, over a year, just over the over the past year, uh, they initiated they came up with an ETF product, which essentially is an ETF that invests in a basket of other ETFs, and so what they've done is they've created a, an ETF that will invest in. Um, the U.S. Vanguard ETF, uh, Canadian Vanguard ETF, uh, Van Canadian Equity ETF, a bond component, and so essentially, what what happens means is you could have literally an entire fully diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds through holding a single um, product. And the interesting thing about it also is that they have different styles or different types of this type of product. So essentially they can invest, invest in the same Vanguard ETFs, but 
um, they can change it, the weightings of it. So they have now a Vanguard growth ETF, I forget the name of it, it that will have a higher weighting towards stocks than bonds. I believe it's 80-20 from stocks to bonds. Then they have a Vanguard balanced ETF, which will have the same, again, van family of Vanguard ETFs in it, but it'll have a 50-50 distribution between stocks and bonds. And then they have a conservative portfolio, which is more 20% stocks, 80%. So depending on your risk profile, you can invest literally in one of these type of products and get a very fully broad diversified portfolio that's, ma that's managed, that's rebalanced, and uh, a lot of the features of what a robo-advisor would do. The kicker with all this is the cost too. They are charging 0.22%, as of right now, 0.22% their MER is on this ETF. So you compare 0.22% versus, let's say my robo service, which I'm paying 0.7% um, to do that, to, to essentially manage my money, uh, you know, execute my investing strategy. That's a big difference, and over time, that's, that can be a quite a bit of hunk of chunk of savings um, by going through the, like this Vanguard kind of model. And it's really created a lot of waves. And recently, the iShares have come up with a similar type family of products, ETF of ETFs. And personally, I think it's just a matter of time before the banks and the mutual funds come up with their own brand of, of family of ETFs within an ETF. So. To me, this is kind of a really a big kind of game changer. I think it could be a game changer moment for, for investors. And for investors, it's a great thing. Um, for robo-advisors, you know, this might be really a really formidable challenge. They've been kind of targeting traditional investors, traditional investing institutions. Um, that's who they've been going after. But the reality is the upstart, you know, stalwart kind of vanguards and iShares of the world are, are, to me, I think, the ETFs that they are investing in could be as big as much of a threat to them as, uh, as the traditional uh, um, financial institutions. So that's kind of what's going on. So as I said, uh, I'm slowly starting to formulate some ideas now in terms of the value of this kind of service of whether it makes sense for investors to, to consider this kind of service. And uh, I've been kind of, you know, I'm just building up my, con as I said, I'm not in a position right now to pronounce judgment on them. As I said, I, I wanted to take five years, commit five years to this, to this um, experiment to see how things evolve and then see what we can learn from it. So, but if I were to share with you kind of the big things that are jumping out of my mind, jumping at my mind right now with them, it'd be a few of them. One of them is, Stuff that really, you know, I've talked about in the past, but um, I think still are, are pertinent. Uh, I think when we're looking at it from a performance perspective, I think when the markets are going really well, I think these services seem to hold their own in terms of generating reasonable return, returns. They're not gonna outbeat the market. Um, they pretty much, you can count on earning the market rate of return through this type of uh, service. Um, and I think the kicker now is now we're starting to see how these things behave in a weak market. And you know, just, just judging by this past year, you know, it lost money, but it didn't lose as much money as maybe the overall broader market if you were investing individually in, into these uh, various market indexes. Um, the other thing is, as much as the value proposition that these companies, robo-companies, try to put out of in terms of value investing and everything. 
you know, my experience is these, these portfolios uh, do get churned. And the fact of the matter is over the first three years that I held this thing, there has been a heck of a lot of rotation out of stocks, out of ETFs, into other ETFs. I think right now it's kind of now found its groove and settled into a, a, a more consistent, stable uh, asset allocation and it's practicing it. But um, the first three years were pretty, were pretty busy. They were very busy. And the nature of this type of investing, index investing, is it shouldn't be busy. It should be boring. I shouldn't have a lot to say. Um, but the fact of the matter is the, the portfolio has gone through a lot of change in the last three years. And so that's something you need to kind of keep an eye out when you're valuing services. How much rotation goes around? These Are they churning your portfolio? And uh, I would say the one I have had up until you know the last year or so, it was doing that. Um, and ultimately, that's not good for investors. That's not, you know, as individual investors, we shouldn't be flipping our portfolio or turning over our portfolio every, you know, you know throughout the year. Um, as I said, the fees, we talked about fees, you know, they're high, they're going, they've gone up. Um, but you got to be realistic, let's take some perspective compared to owning mutual funds or compared to having an individual financial advisor manage your money. Uh, the robo-advisor service is still a cheaper, cheaper play out there. It's still cheaper um, than other type of services out there. Um, what else have I learned? Um, and I, you know, as much as we've got supposedly computers managing our, our money through this service, I think at the end of the day, there's still a human element involved in here. And the fact of the matter is, again, going back to the, the churning aspect and the rotation in my portfolio, over the past four years, there is still a human element that is managing this portfolio. And I think this concept of having, you know, as much as you can have codes and algorithms and formulas and stuff like that, at the end of the day, somebody has to program it. And a lot of decisions that are made are still um, political kind of decisions. Um, as I said, the nature of the portfolio that I had four years ago when it started, there were ETFs in there that were held by uh, companies that had seats on the board of directors on my robo service and from a conflict of interest perspective that's pretty crappy um, it's not there anymore but uh, there is a human element to these services you still have to as much as the companies will say you know computers are managing it there's still people behind this um, and I think also what, what I've seen too is what I've seen over the past four years is the nature of how these services are marketed has changed. When they came out, the target market was millennials. They were going after the younger demographic. The value proposition was you, you don't need to have, be a high net worth person to invest. They had fee uh, minimal deposits. Um, they had minimum floors in terms of before fees were charged. That's kind of gone out the window. They've now, they're, these companies now are targeting, and including the one I'm with right now, they're targeting high net worth clients. They're going after traditional customers that the banks and the brokerages are going after. They're adopting a much more uh, broad-based fee structure. Um, it's, it's, in a way, these, these companies that started off as these kind of just quote-unquote disruptors are sort of now morphing into traditional financial institutions and offering the same kind of services, same kind of behaviors. Um, and you make you wonder, okay, what's again? Is this any better than investing in a traditional, going with a broker, or doing it yourself? Starting to see some ideas starting to get more crystallized with it. Um, the other thing that we, we want to see is how they behave, and I think what we're starting to see was with the pullback in the market, 
one of the things I think we I, I saw was that there wasn't any crazy changes in my portfolio. Um, there wasn't any crazy selling of of certain ETFs or rotating ETFs or adjusting the weighted uh, weightings in terms of ET, uh, asset allocation. It was very consistent in terms and very stable during the real stress points in the market last year. And so um, that's a positive element in the sense that um, you know. One of the things as a coach, as I work with as an investment coach, is a lot of times it's, it's managing behaviors because behaviors are often the thing that kind of screw us up for making decisions. And so if putting your money into a robo-service is going to minimize the opportunities for you to make emotional decisions, then you know what? Then maybe a robo-service actually might be a good thing. And I think if a, if a service behaves like it's behaved, in the last year by essentially doing nothing and just staying in the game, then that's a good thing, that's a good thing for investors and that's a good service for investors uh, to help people get out of their own way. So those are some of my observations as, as we hit my four-year anniversary of my robo portfolio. As I said, we got another year coming up and hopefully by the end of the fifth year, we'll see a year from now, we'll have, you know, I, I, I definitely I'd be, I think I'd be in a pretty good position to share some more definitive uh, takes on whether this type of service is, is valuable and is worthy of consideration. And, uh, and kind of, let's, you know, just put a, answer those questions that I, I, I hopefully I'd be able to answer the questions I was able to, I was not getting any answers uh, from four years ago. So I'd love to know what you think. Uh, as I said, uh, if you want to read my blog, I've posted my blog that has all the detailed information. I'll talk about a lot of what I talked about. You can check it out on my website, sageinvestors.ca. If you have any questions about this, uh, about robo-advisors, uh, this particular uh, episode, you can hit me through my email um, on my website, sageinvestors.ca. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at sageinvestors. I'm on there all the time tweeting um, my own observations, uh, personal decisions that I'm making and other sharing content from some other amazing people who know, I think, a lot more about investing than I do. Um, and you can find me on Instagram. I'll post some updates and charts and stuff like that on Instagram. The handle is Sage, Sage Investors Nation. And finally, if you're interested, every Wednesday morning I do a little email blast uh, whenever I post new content on my site. Um, as well as sharing some interesting articles and research and uh, uh, opinions about investing that I often frame into factor into my own decisions that I use in my own um, decision-making process. So I've created an email address. I call it In The Loop. If you're interested, you can register through my website, sageinvestors.ca. Just drop your email. Boom, you get an email every Wednesday morning and uh, a repeat email every Wednesday afternoon. So that's all I got for you today. Thanks for listening in. This has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Alvin Marina of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.